0: Brilliant. It's amazing Uh, just to be seeing and and just joining in the celebration of seeing uh, Anna, Sarah and Isabel getting baptised. This wonderful demonstration of what God has done, specifically in their lives, but what God has done for us in going to the cross, in taking our sin, in rising from the grave. We're going to look in, uh, we're going to carry on our journey, uh, for those who've been with us over recent weeks, through uh, the book of John. We're in John 16 uh, this week, plus the last couple of verses of chapter 15. In the moment, I'm going to read that. What's going on? We're in the upper room. We're at the Last Supper, in effect. John doesn't say, seems to not say a lot about the Last Supper. He kind of alludes to the fact that Judas was the one who was dipping the bread in the bowl with him. And we hear about him washing the disciples' feet. But then we hear that in the upper room, Jesus talking to his disciples. And we're in the middle of that wonderful time of Jesus just speaking with his friends. So that's where we are. John 15 and verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now... You have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God's. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So as I said, what's going on? They're in the upper room. Jesus is... He's washed their feet. They've shared the meal. Judas has gone to betray him. The time has come. His death is imminent. So we read in chapter 12, Jesus has been telling them. In chapter 12 and verse 23, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified and goes on to tell them about a grain of wheat dying. The time has come. The time is very soon. And so they've shared the meal and he's washed their feet. And now he continues to talk to his friends in the upper room. As Ben told us last week, this isn't some little kind of cheerful, it might go either way, pep talk before a game of football. This is serious. It's not a game that they're playing. Jesus is preparing them. He's preparing them for his departure. Deparing, preparing them because he is leaving. Verse 5, now I am going to him who sent me. In verse 10, I'm going to the Father where you will see me no longer. Jesus is preparing them for this coming event. And he's warning them about coming persecution. But he's also promising them the Holy Spirit. As we look through these verses, we see Jesus' care for his friends, Jesus' concern for his friends. We see his love for his friends, his compassion, his desire for their good, and that they be prepared for what is coming. His desire is that in the face of all that is to come, verse 1, All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. And how does he close the passage as we've cut it off? Verse 33, I've told you these things. Why? So that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus wants them to be prepared. He's talking of trouble, severe trouble to come. I'm telling them again, reiterating to them again, I'm going away. And what do we see? The disciples are grief-stricken. They're devastated. They're confused. We see all this range of emotions here. In verse 5 and 6, it kind of alludes to that. Jesus says, you don't even ask where I'm going. You're so full of grief. All you can kind of think of is on... You're not even asking, where are you going? What does this mean? What is this about? Because you're so full of grief. And there is grief here. There's grief here because this passage is based around Jesus preparing them for the fact he will be taken from them and killed. Verse 16, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. This It's the cornerstone, the heart of everything that's happening here. Jesus is preparing them for the fact, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. This is the heart of what's going on. It's what those who've been baptised have been declaring. Jesus went to the cross and died in my place. But starting here, we see three wonderful contrasts in this passage. Wonderful contrasts that emphasise the sense that Jesus is preparing them. He's promising them the Spirit and he's warning them about what's to come. So what do we see? We see Jesus telling them that their grief will turn to joy. It's contrast number one. Verse 16 to 18, and we'll start right in the middle. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus has already pointed out earlier on that they are filled with grief. Now we see they're just utterly confused. In a little while, and in another little while, what's going on? They are filled with grief at this time. Pause here. As we look at this, we're not called to ignore grief. The disciples are and would be utterly distraught. Fearful, confused, full of grief. Grief is real. Grief is true in their immediate circumstances. Clearly, Jesus is about to leave them and be killed. Everything they had will seem to be gone. There's definitely grief here. But that's true for us too. We're not called to pretend. The book of Ecclesiastes, in in chapter 3, tells us there's a time for everything. And more pertinently, in verse 4, tells us there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. But there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Grief is a reality in life. As Jesus said himself in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn that they will be comforted. So we're not to ignore grief. The disciples weren't being told to ignore their grief. But actually here's where they can find comfort. Find comfort in me. Find comfort in Jesus. As we see through so many of the psalms, grief and lament being poured out, but the psalm is coming to God and finding comfort in the time of grief and their time of need. Okay, but what is Jesus telling them about? Why are they going to be full of grief? He's telling them about his death. In fact, he's telling them about his death and his resurrection and then his ascension. He's going back to the Father. But he's telling them first and foremost about his death. I'm going to go. I'll be taken from you. You won't understand it. It will be painful. You will be full of grief. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. What does it say? Verses 19 and 20, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you, gonna, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That's, the religious leaders and the Roman authorities and the crowd whipped up to cry, Crucify, crucify, will see Jesus led to the cross. As many will gather and mock and jeer and innocent rejoice, they will weep and mourn, they will grieve. But your grief will turn to joy. Verse 20. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. What does he said in verse 16? In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. See, Jesus goes on to use an analogy. Your grief will turn to joy. He uses an analogy, which I'm worried as a man to use, but Jesus used it. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. As I say, I'm nervous. But these are Jesus' words. I cannot know the pain and the experience of childbirth except as a hopefully, as I hopefully was, supportive and helpful husband, but in a real sense, a bystander. I've seen the pain and the anguish and the exhaustion. And then I've seen. And I felt the joy. The joy that this was, I take it as read, extremely painful and hard, but it leads to joy. And I think I am not speaking out of turn when there is a real sense that that pain is forgotten to some degree. I might get a lot of shaking heads, but to some degree, there is a sense of man in the middle of that. This is just awful, but somehow it is overtaken by, wow, I'm not going to go any further with that. But Jesus says, look, that's what you're facing here. It feels horrendous. It feels awful. It feels desperate. It is going to feel horrendous. But remember, it's bringing joy. It's bringing life. There's new, new life coming. I w- you will see me again. Death. Yes, Jesus is going to the cross, but resurrection also. And we see the wonder of the cross as Jesus is explaining it to them. As he's telling them, this is what's going to happen. You will be full of grief, but it will turn to joy. See the wonder of the cross. That coming Friday, they will grieve while the world rejoices. While the world thinks it has won. While the disciples think all is lost. On Friday, but Sunday is coming. On Friday, they will grieve, but Sunday is coming. And then they will understand. Wow, this is what he was telling us. This is what all the pain was about. This is what it was for. He's done it. He's won. He is alive. Jesus hasn't lost. He's won. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Apparent abject defeat is actually astonishing victory. So their joy would, their grief would turn to joy. And for us, here is the source of true joy for us as well. Here is hope. Here is forgiveness. Here is mercy and grace. Jesus was going away to the cross. Through it, he was making a way for so much more. He was making a way for forgiveness and intimacy with the Father as we're going to go on to see. And joy that would come. Conquering sin and death so that we can know him, truly know him. So their joy, their grief would turn to joy, but we see also Jesus is going to go, but the Spirit is going to come. This is contrast number two, Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus going away through his death, his resurrection, his ascension is making the way for us to be in relationship with the Father. It opens the way for us to be drawn into this incredible relationship with God, the three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pause again here and see the wonder of this relationship through this passage. It's so richly described, interwoven, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit relating to one another and to the disciples. We see the wonder of this of this relationship described here. I'm going to read verses 12 to 15. Just as Jesus describes, what is the Spirit, some of what the Spirit is going to do? I, Jesus, have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is glorious. This is just amazing looking at this. Father, Son and Holy Spirit and the disciples drawn in to relationship. But Jesus tells them, I'm drawing you into this. I'm drawing you into deeper relationship. Verse 7, it is for your good that I go, I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In returning to the Father, Jesus will send the Holy Spirit. Jesus will go and the Spirit will come. They're full of grief. Jesus is going away. I, we don't understand what's going on. How can it be good for us that you're going? But Jesus is at pains to point out. This is for your good, not only because I'm going to do what I set out to do. This ultimately is why it's good for you. But if I go, the Spirit will come. Jesus is making it clear, the Holy Spirit is not some kind of downgrade. You've had me with you, but I can send you this kind of bit part backup player who can kind of come and do some of what I've done before. The Spirit isn't like the second best. The kind of, well, yeah, it'd be nice if you could keep me with you, but actually I suppose I suppose I can find someone to step in. It's kind of okay, he's not quite as good as me, but No, Jesus is at pains to say, this is for your good. He's bringing them into deeper relationship. He's opening the way for us to be in true, deep relationship with him, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. What does he go on to say a bit later on in the passage? In verse 23, in that day... I've gone, the Spirit has come. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until, you, until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. And then a couple of verses later, in that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. no. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus is telling them, I'm going away, but this is for your good. The Spirit will come. You've had me with you. Now you will have the Spirit in you. And you will be able to ask the Father directly. You can pray to your Father in heaven. I'm not saying I'm going to ask him for you. No, you can ask him in my name. This is good for them. Jesus will go, the Spirit will come, and they will be drawn into intimate, close relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do we recognise the wonder of this? The intimacy of relationship that we have with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we're in Christ, the Spirit lives in us, and we are friends of God's. We get to come, in Jesus' name, to the Father himself. You see, Jesus going away, they just see this is bad, this is causing grief, this is loss. Jesus explains, no, this is good news. I'm going to do what I set out to do. This will open the way for you to come to the Father and I'm sending the Spirit that he would dwell within you. Do we recognise that that's what we have access to? Do we know this intimacy? Do we know Him? Do we know Jesus? And if we do, are we experienced the wonder of the Spirit living within us, of being filled with His Spirit, of being filled with the wonder of all that the Spirit is said to, is coming to do, guiding them into all truth? guiding us into all truth, filling us with power to live for him. Well, we can know it today. Come to him. Surrender to him. Recognise there is only one way, and it's Jesus. Recognise he is the way, the truth, and the life. Surrender to him. Just as Anna, Isabel, and Sarah were declaring, that's what I've done. I've surrendered to him. I'm following him. I'm with Jesus. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Paul says in Ephesians five eighteen, the sense of that, go on being filled. Let's keep being filled with the Spirit. Okay, Jesus is going. He's going to his death. He's going to rise. He's going to ascend to the Father. And he's going to pour the Holy Spirit out. He's preparing them for what is to come. He's promising them the Holy Spirit. But there's a real sense of warning in this as well. The third contrast. You will have trouble, but I have overcome. Passage ends, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And it points us back to the beginning of the passage, Jesus warning them about people opposing them because the world is opposed to him. Chapter 16, verse 1, All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And they do such things because they've not known the Father or me. In fact, what does Jesus say of what the Spirit is coming to do? Do you remind them here, in this world you will have trouble? Why? Because the world is in rebellion against God. What does he say of the Spirit in verse 8? When the Spirit comes, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, and righteousness and judgment. spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong. The world is opposed to Jesus. About sin, because they don't believe in me. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He's the only way, he's the only way to come to the Father. But the world rejects him. The world rejects his words. The world rejects what this says. We can hear it so often, day by day. The world wants to live by its own standards. We can hear it in our friends. We can hear it on the TV. We can hear it in, every, in so many different ways. This is what the Bible says. Yeah, but well, if it's not hurting anyone, then it's kind of all right, isn't it? If it makes you happy... And that's what you've got to do. Because only you can truly know yourself and know what you really need. And so you've just got to do what it is that you feel you need to do. Rejecting the truth, what he says. Because of righteousness. Because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Jesus has gone to the Father. He's died. He's risen and ascended to the Father's right hand. He is totally vindicated. The righteous one. The king. The one who has made the way. The way, the truth and the life. And yet the world rejects him. And about judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. At the cross, the devil stands condemned. And so... the world and so do we if we're not in Christ. Unless we're in him, he is the way, the truth and the life, and yet the world does not accept it. The world says we don't need it, we don't believe it. Judgment? Nah, we'll do it our way. In this world you will have trouble, Because the world is in rebellion against God. He's talking of persecution, talking about them being put out of the synagogue, being ostracised from the community, being just said, no, get out. And even being killed. Serious, serious trouble, serious persecution. And the disciples certainly face this. We look through early history books. All except John of the 11 are reported to have been martyred. We see the reality for James in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Note the point, it was met with approval. The religious leaders, what Jesus had told them. But not just then. We can look through the centuries at persecution and and hardship and and martyrs being made. I can look even today, just looking at some statistics from Open Doors UK, where they say that 2022 saw persecution of Christians at the highest level since their record started 30 years ago. They report 360 million Christians worldwide facing high levels of persecution, you can go and look and see how they define that. But just to look at it, 5,898 killed for their faith last year in many nations, 5,110 church buildings attacked, 4,765 believers detained without trial and prosecuted, hear and see Many being forced to flee homelands, becoming refugees. But also so many other things we could think of, perhaps closer to home. For us who maybe aren't experiencing some of that. Perhaps persecution at work, but holding on to the truth of the Bible. Because this nation, like the rest of the world, is not following God. Not living his way, not following what he says. Or perhaps for speaking of Jesus. Dan, I don't know how exactly your Bibles were received, and I don't know what conversations you'll have. They may all be very positive. They may all be, that was nice of you, Dan. But at the same time, you might be met with some mocking, some ridicule, some awkward, difficult conversations. For speaking out, well done. And so on. We can think of so many different things. But why is Jesus pointing this out? In this world, you will face trouble. And we know it's true. But why is he pointing it out? And this is where we're going to close. I've told you this so that you will not fall away. And then again, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. For them and for us, Jesus forewarns us. I'm telling you this in a sense so that you will continue to believe when these things happen. You will understand, I said this was the way it would be. This isn't proving that I was wrong, this is proving I was right. This shows that I was right. Because it's easy to think, how can this be happening? If Jesus is in control and Jesus loves me, how can this be happening to me or to my friend or to whoever? But no, Jesus said it would. Back in the last few verses that Ben looked at last week in chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. The world, in this world we will have trouble because the world has rejected Jesus and we're with him. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus forewarns them so they'd be prepared, but he's also telling them, look, I'm the answer. I'm the answer. I have overcome the world. John will go on to say in his first letter, in 1 John 4, verse 4, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We sang that song earlier, those wonderful words, in the song, you are king, our God is bigger than all the troubles, trials, battles. I'm looking at Mark, Pete and Ali were just singing it. Battles we will face. (laughs) I had this in my head. Our God is stronger than the powers of the evil one. Our God is greater than our fears and he's in control. This is the truth, even if I can't keep it in my head all the time. This is the truth. He is in control and he is in us by his spirit. This is what Jesus is telling them. This is what Jesus is preparing them for. Take heart, I've overcome. Find peace in me. I'm going, but it's for your good. There will be pain, there will be grief, but remember, it will bring joy. You will have joy again. I'm going to the Father, but that is good for you because I'm sending the Spirit and you will be drawn into relationship with me. And that's the message for us today. We can know this intimacy with God because Jesus went. To the cross. Because he went away, because he went to the cross and died and rose again, conquering sin and death, we can know him and we can be filled with his spirit. Amen.